Well, I hope you had a good sleep. The cold air, cold nights help. If you crack a window open, you know, freeze in there, you'll, you'll hibernate. You know, that's what you end up doing. Uh, we, we talked last night about what, what or who. It's kind of like what or who. And I, I had a verse last night I meant to read, and I didn't read it. But who, who's my master or what's my master? And this is a very common verse. Most of you have probably heard this and know it. In Luke 16, 13, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That, that serving money fits for guys fairly well. You know, that's kind of a cultural thing that we're the providers. We, you know, work, we make money. When we meet guys that don't work and don't make money, our thoughts usually aren't real optimistic about them or their chances in life. So we kind of have these, these cultural things that we have from that. But we can't serve two masters. And one of the things I think that stops us from that is we get confused. We have expectations and we confuse ourselves with them. Things don't turn out like we plan. There was a survey done uh, about 40 years ago. It was a survey and the, the, the number of people that they, taught, they survey is called the population. The population was 40,000 people. Now, when they do TV surveys on who you're going to vote for, they call about 1,200 people in the country, 1,300. This population was 40,000. And it was a survey of retired seniors. So old people like a lot of us in here. And the, the questions were going through, but one of the ones they were really looking at is, what age was the best age of your life? Think about that for a minute. What age was the best age of your life? The average age that was chosen by 40,000 people that were all in that senior division was 17.6 years old. Almost all of you are way over the best age. <laughs> so just good news is it's all downhill from here. I want to start the day out with a good thought. 16 point, or excuse me, 17.6 years old. And I was actually taking a class in a uh, master's in family counseling program at Fresno State. We had a class on counseling seniors. And so this was one of the things we did in that class. And I thought about that a lot. I thought, what in the world? You know, why? You know, I mean, we, we keep thinking there's, and my own anecdotal solution to this thing was at 17.6, that's right before high school graduation, right? You have no financial responsibilities. Most people don't. You haven't gone out and been in a situation where you had to go hungry because you didn't have food from not being able to work. <clears throat> you're the, the, top of the, the top of the hill. You're a senior in high school. You can kind of see this is a pretty optimum position in here. When we get out of high school and then we look and we think, well, I'm going to be happy as soon as I get my first job or as soon as I start my company or as soon as I graduate from college. And then we do that. We achieve those things and we, we don't 
find that happiness, that contentment. Well, as soon as I get married and we don't find that contentment. <laughs> so as soon as I get married or when we have our first kid, well, you know what? When we buy our first house, well, when I can buy my first brand new car, well, when I have enough money to get us an RV and a boat. And see, we keep having these markers that we think when we get to this point, we're going to be happy. When I retire, when I retire, there'll be no problems at all. Life will be the best it's ever been. They didn't pick when they retired and they were all retired. They kept thinking, I'm going to round this corner and it's going to be, oh, now we made it. But then that doesn't quite get there. So they think, oh, it's that corner up there. And they round that corner. Oh, this is the best. We've got our first kid. We own a home now. Doesn't quite put them there. So what, what? We have this expectation and reality doesn't turn out like that. I, uh, when I was at Cal Poly, I wrestled on Cal Poly's team for Coach Hitchcock. He was a two-time Olympic coach. Uh, I was at the end of the time that we were national champs, eight years in a row, nine out of 10 years, and we had a good team. So when I first went there, I was in an apartment with three other guys, and <clears throat> up at the dairy unit, Cal Poly is the largest acreage campus in the state of California and there. So they have this sheep farm that's about a mile and a half off main campus. They've got this cattle farm that's up two or three miles in the hills and they've got these things. Well, they had this dairy unit that, uh, that was close to the railroad tracks in campus. So we went up there and they had one of these breeding bulls. Now, have you ever seen a breeding bull? They, they look like a limousine. You know, they don't look like a regular bull you see coming up and down the hill here. They've got that extinction. They're like a limo. They're, I mean, they're huge. So we're up there, and they're in the dairy unit, and the bull's standing out in this, you know, actually almost this wide, maybe from this road to the wall, standing out here. And in the corner, there's a place to walk through. There's a gap in it, in the, in the, in the big bar fence. And right inside that gap's a pole. So you can step in and go around the pole and go in to go and do, you know, if they're doing something with a, with a bull or whatever. And so... <clears throat> We thought we'd had this great game. Let's see who can run in and slap the bull and get out of the pen. <laughs> and when you came up to the fence, the bull would always, whatever it was doing, if it was eating or standing out there, they'd always just look at you. And it would just freeze and just, you're just, it's just staring at you. So we're there and we think this will be awesome, you know. So Ben Palando, one of the guys on the team, about a 142-pounder, and just hilarious dude. We get him, we talk him into going first. So he was a PE major. No, <laughs> but we talk him into going first. He wasn't the smartest guy in the world. And so Ben gets in there, and he's kind of getting ready, and he's the bull's looking, and then, you know, to look down by the water trough, and then it would look back over and just stare. So as soon as it looks down, Ben goes, and I mean, he sprints in there, he has his hand up, he reaches in to do it, and he steps in a huge pile of bull waste. He goes flat on his back, he slides under the bull, 
and he is looking at the largest set of <laughs> bull package you could ever imagine. And when he hits the ground and he's sliding underneath and he's seeing these things come in over his head, just like Jupiter and, you know, Saturn, <laughs> and his feet are already going. He's like running on the ground. He has slid through this. He, turns, he gets up and he's running like crazy and he has his hands on the ground. And he's about maybe the width of this building from the pole in the corner. But he is, he's haunt, and the bull doesn't even know what to do. <laughs> no one's ever had that view of that bull before. He's like, he, he, he's so confused, you know, and he, so he kind of, he kind of, you can see him, he's not jerking, but he's just kind of moving and starts to move, and Ben comes flying backwards on his hands and feet, turns around and plows into that pole with his forehead. Just, the whole building just went boom! Well, by this time, the bull's moving. He's, he's, he's coming, he's starting to move over there. So Ben hits, we reach around the bar, we are laughing so hard we can hardly move. We reach around and grab him and drag him around the pole and when he gets around the pole and we're pulling him out of that hole, that bull's head just goes, he wasn't running, he just walked up but he had this huge head, he went boom and the whole metal building was like, that was not what Ben expected. He rounded a corner and saw something, but it was not what he thought it was going to be. It was a really disappointing experience. It was awesome in practice the next day because he had to explain this big goose egg on his head. That became a great story of tradition over there for a while. Yeah, go up and run in and touch the bull. He's really nice. But lots of times we have those things that slam us in the head. We have our plans. We have our ideas. We may choose the wrong master to serve. And what happens lots of times is when you choose the wrong master to serve, the one you love and you hate the other, you focus more on the one you hate. We, we, we have that practice. Romans 6.11 says that you are no longer dead to sin, but you are alive to Christ. And how many of us have spent thousands of hours of trying to avoid sin? Trying to stay away from sin. See, we're not seeing the right thing. We're serving the wrong master. We no longer need to worry about not sinning. If you do sin, which Paul tells us, you are going to sin. Why do I do what I don't want to do? My brain tells me I don't ever want to do this, and I find myself doing it. I don't understand why this happens, because we're, we're stuck in this, right? We're in this skin. We have this body. We, we're, we're not, well, someday we're going to leave it. It's for some people, it's scary, but for some of us, it's going to be a pretty awesome day, and we're going to leave it. <clears throat> But we spend all this energy trying to avoid the wrong master instead of being alive to the master. So we get confused somehow because this is laid out in Scripture in the New Testament. It's not secret or real complicated. You know, you can read that verse uh, 16, 13, and you can read that, you know, you can't serve two masters at one time. That's in Luke. People have read through that. You, and we've heard that taught on and preached on before that you just can't serve two masters at one time. 
So what happens to us? I think what happens to guys is different than what happens to women. I think because of our just our nature, what God has placed in us in the garden, that we're going to toil and fight against the weeds our entire life. We are going to provide. Someone's going to look to us if we're married for leadership, and a lot of us struggle with that idea. Our self-image isn't good enough that we think people should follow us, and so we're stuck in this position, and we're trying to pretend, and we have all these things going on. But I think guys have a different perspective on this. There was a book written by a guy years ago called Os Guinness, and he wrote this book called The Grave Digger File, and he had a great illustration in there that I read it when I was in college, and I always remembered this. But he had, he had a chapter called The Private Zoo Factor. The Private Zoo Factor. In The Private Zoo, he, uh, he made an illustration that we make our lives like a zoo. We do that to feel that we have control. So I have a cage with the animal in there that's my church group. But then I have a cage over here, and I don't want these animals to get mixed together. These are my golfing buddies. I might talk a different way in that cage. I might behave a different way in that cage. Then I come over here, and I have a cage that's my work cage. Well, I lots of times don't want people in my work cage, the life in my work cage, to mix with my golfing buddies and what we do. I have my health cage, going to the gym, running, swimming, you know, riding mountain bikes, whatever it is. I have that cage and those people in there. And so we feel like that we're organizing and letting, we're keeping our life separate. And what do we call that? We say that sometimes people have a hard time doing what? Juggling. Did you ever use that term? God, I'm juggling so much stuff right now. The Bible tells us, you know what you need to juggle? Nothing. It's really simple. First time it's talked about is in John, the parable of the vine. You need to abide. You need to abide. God will do all the juggling. And as you change your perspective on these things, then as your perspective changes, you begin to feel a freedom from juggling. You don't have to go feed because, see, when you have animals in different cages, what do they have to do for them every day? They got to feed them. You got to feed them. And you might come to a point that uh, <clears throat> you've got your, uh, uh, your Internet cage. No one else sees what you see on the Internet on your computer. But what happens is. You think that I'm going to ignore this. I'm not going to do this anymore, God. This is not going to be part of me. But you know what? That animal's crying out inside of you, and you've got to feed it. And you might go for weeks, and you'll go back and feed it. You might cry out and beat yourself on the chest. And I, God, I just never want to be in this situation again. I don't ever want to go see her again. We need to stop this. This is not something I want to do. And you'll feed that animal when it cries loud enough. And so you're juggling all these animals in your life. My, uh, my oldest son, David, uh, <clears throat> was he and his wife got home in February from four years in Ethiopia. 
and uh, three of our little grandkids. They went when our grandkids were two, four, and six. And he went over there. He's a trauma surgeon at CRMC in Fresno, the big hospital downtown. And so he had uh, done uh, five years of college. He majored in science, biology, and modern languages and literature. So he was fluent in Spanish and German, had to read, write, and speak two languages. Then he went to four years of med school at UC Davis. Then he went to five years of residency in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, with the UT Vols. And then he came home and did a two-year fellowship in Fresno uh, to become a trauma surgeon versus a surgeon. And then he worked there for about five or six months before he left. So he's like 42 years old. That sucker's never had a job. So, no, he's actually... He starts his first job. He starts work Monday, day after tomorrow. <laughs> but he went through all this to go over there. And so my wife and I, we went every year and uh, uh, went to visit and would spend two or three weeks. The last time we went this last November and spent the month of November and had a great time. It is, it is, uh, I, I can't describe how brutal it is. And I mean, that whole freaking continent is brutal. It is, it's beyond, <laughs> I've been in every country in Central America on mission trips, 25 times to Mexico, and I've never seen anything as bad as the average place I've been in Africa. But we did get to go on a safari. My wife and I jumped a plane, went on and got on a plane in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. We flew south to, Ken to Nairobi, Kenya. The interesting thing was we got on the plane at about 8.30 in the morning. We took off, <clears throat> and my wife said, the thing's having a hard time getting going. We landed in Nairobi. The next day, the 8.30 plane from Nairobi to, uh, to, uh, from Addis Ababa to Nairobi is that 7.37 that crashed. That was the next day. I got up that morning, went down to get some coffee in the place we're staying, and everybody's sitting around the TV, and I'm like, what's going on? I thought, oh, my gosh. That was the day after we flew that crazy flight. <laughs> but the safari is amazing. If you ever get a chance, they're not cheap if you're, I mean, for us, we were going to visit a family, and so we could just kind of took this flight down there. My son T was in, a, when he was in Afghanistan, he met a guy uh, that was from Kenya, and his brother was a government official. So through all this, this government official picked us up at the airport and gave us a tour and stuff. So it was really a good trip. And the, uh, but the safari was interesting because the animals aren't in cages. They're not separated. And guess what happens? Sometimes one of the animals kills another one. But does it, kill, does it kill the strong, healthy ones? They go out and find that one that's crippled. They find the one that's got a respiratory problem and has got snot running out of its nose standing there. They go out and kill things that are sick. You know, in the private zoo you have, you've got sick animals in there. Your sin cage is really sick. But how can something kill it if you keep it away from everything else? It's your secret cage. Oh, I don't mix that with my church cage. Yeah, I've never confessed my sins one to another. I couldn't ask for help for that problem or the internet because I'd be so embarrassed they thought I was looking at pornography. Oh, no, I'm a, I'm a greeter in my church. I can't go ask anybody to help me. That, I'm going to keep that in that cage. 
Well, it's a, it's a sick animal. And when you go out to uh, Kenya and you're out in the uh, uh, savannah out there and you're seeing this stuff, the animals you see are healthy. They're strong. And they work. And no one has to juggle them. They fit. And this kind fits with this kind. And this one has got a symbiotic relationship with this one. And there's these different. And so it all kind of fits together. And that's why we think it's so beautiful. That's how God wants your life to look. He wants our lives to look beautiful. He doesn't want us to juggle stuff all the time. He doesn't want us to hide things away. He wants to kill some of the things in our life. And it will make us healthy. It will make us healthy. It will not take something away from you that's making you healthy. And then you can sit back and just abide in Jesus and let him juggle. I was thinking, how, how, I've been saying abide in Jesus. How do we do that? <clears throat> John 8, 31 and 32 says, well, John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus was say, speaking to those that believed in him. He's talking to Christians. He said, if you abide in my word, you know the truth and the truth of what? Set you free. We can't, we, we, in, in modern culture in our country, we've really begun to emphasize Jesus, which is good. Our walk is about Jesus. But in some situations, we start to kind of downplay the Bible. And it really is Jesus and the Bible. Jesus saves us. But how do we know how all this works from God's whispered word to us in his Bible? He has given us directions. I just bought my wife a CRV this last week, a Honda CRV. And what you do with all the stuff inside of it, I came home and she had the book out. Comes with a book in the glove box, you know, the manual. And she's reading through it. You know, she's working on this and trying this on the screen and stuff like that. That makes sense to everybody in here. Oh, yeah, figure that stuff out. And, I, and I've, I told her when we got home, I said, do not work on anything here. Don't adjust your mirrors when you're driving. You know, don't get distracted. Just get where you're going and then stop and plug it in, figure out how to use your map and how to do all this stuff. But don't work on stuff while you're driving. <clears throat> but doesn't that make sense? What, what, why don't we do that with God? Unless you can look and honestly say, and I have met people I think that could say that, Herb Knight in Kingsburg, Dr. John Hunter from England, Few people come to my mind that I think they got it. They, they got it. <laughs> but I know both of them have spent all their life in the word. Walking with Jesus. So we, we have decisions to make all the time. I can spend my day today avoiding sin. Working hard to stay away from that. Really making sure. And see, I can set up lots of religious rules. Oh, we don't do this. Christians don't do this. And we don't do this. And we don't use that word, but we can use this word kind of, you know, we can say the F word, but we can't say the real word. And we can, you know, we have all these rules and regulations. That's living 
to be dead to sin. Oh, I, got, I cannot miss. Had, our church started a thing in Visaya neighborhood that one Sunday a year we uh, go out in the community and do projects. It's called For Visaya. And we serve our community. We clean up parks. We clean up roads. We clean up graffiti. We go to the poor areas and haul trash off. And we just do work for the city. The city tells us what they'd like us to do. And we go do it. My cousin was one of the original guys in neighborhood church. And he and his wife left the church over that. See, he was living dead to sin. That was a rule that you couldn't break. You should be in church on Sunday morning. If you're not, that's sin. If you're not, that's horrible. You're breaking all. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Live alive to Christ. Choose that master, not the one that lines everything up, tells you, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Because the whole thing is there's no <clears throat> doing for God. See, we, we have someone that accepts Christ and we think we need to make sure they know what to do. And God says, I'd like you just to be with me. And that's hard for men. When's the last time you went outside and sat on the patio by yourself without music, with your Bible or without it, but just sat there and thought about abiding with God? Christ, what, what are you doing in my life? What the heck is going on? And just listen. See, we don't do that stuff. Romans 6, 11, we are no longer dead to sin. We are alive to Christ. When God lets these things out of the cages, see in the picture, <clears throat> I'm the zoo master and here's all the cages perfectly lined up around me. There's a trail to each one. I can go feed them. I can have control. This one's never over here. Well, when they're out of their cage and God's in control, there's lions here and zebras here and hippos over here and ostriches here and can't, uh, giraffes up here. And there's all these different animals all around. It looks chaotic, but it's really healthy. You don't see sick animals out there. So we have this guy thing, you know, well, if I'm just out of control, you know, I can't, I, no, I, I got to do this. I got to do, I got to do this. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Just pause for a minute. God, help me abide in you right now. I don't know what abide means. God, help me abide in you. Help me just listen for a second before I run off and catch that animal and throw it back in my cage. And God will destroy those cages when you start asking him to. But he usually won't till you do. So we always have decisions to make. What master are you going to follow? Are you going to keep your life organized? Keep all those animals separate? You know, nobody knows how I talk to my wife at home, but everybody at work thinks I'm the greatest guy in the world. All those kinds of things that we deal with. Are you going to slow down a little bit and say, okay, <laughs> I want to stop juggling. I don't want to be 71 years old and have 17.6 be the best year of my life. That, that's a sad thought. I felt good because I was about 35 or 6, and I wrote my age down that I was because I was having fun. <clears throat> I talked and laughed my son last night. I said, my wife has had 37 years of a great marriage, and 
We've been married 47 years. <laughs> so I had my dirt bikes and racing motocross and all those kinds of things, you know. And so I look and think, okay, God has to slow me down a little bit to take care of that. He wants to slow down with you. He wants 17.6 to just be another year in your life. He wants you to get up in the morning and think, this is a good day. I'm looking ahead to what's alive. I'm tired of running from what's dead back here. I'm tired of trying to hold these cages shut. Oh, Lord, help me today to abide in you. How do I do that? I know one way for sure is to be in his word. However that works for you. We're told in the Old Testament and Psalms that God inhabits the praises of his people. So if you're not sure he hears you, you're not sure where he's at. Praise him. He promises you he inhabits the praises of his people. And your praise can be breaking out in song. It can be just thanking him. There's all kinds of ways you can do that. But if you just praise him, you can have confidence he is inhabiting your praises. He is, he is there. You are abiding with him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you enjoy us, enjoying each other. You enjoy the, uh, the games, the activities. <clears throat> God, thanks. You have uh, designed us perfectly. You have set a path before us that is not confusing. Lord, forgive us for all the rabbit trails we've been running around on. God, forgive us for all the labor that we have put into building those cages with rocks and walls and wire and moats and sliding doors. And, oh, we've got everything safe from everybody else, Lord. Lord, um, slow us down. Help us to sit, not to do to listen, help us to not panic when we get caught in one of our cages. Help us to turn and move straight into that situation and be honest and let you destroy it. And in a sense, Lord, be a man about it. Step up and just walk through the circumstances. Father, I pray for each one of us here today that you would Remind us often that you're waiting for us, that you would bring circumstances into our lives that would cause us to look to you, if for nothing else, and to cry out for help. God, sometimes uh, cancer can be the greatest gift you ever give somebody if it causes them to submit their life to you and trust you. Adversity can be an awesome gift, Lord, if we let you take care of everything that's run around by it. Thanks for this place, for this time. Thanks for loving us, Lord. Oh, my gosh. In Christ's name, amen.